Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. Really do appreciate you uh, hanging out with us and joining us, whether this is your first time listening to the show or uh, you've listened to uh, all 200, and I don't know, a bunch of these episodes. We really do appreciate it. We're glad that you're here. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to, to leave us a, a rating and review in uh, iTunes, wherever you listen to the show. Make sure you subscribe, tell a friend about it, and uh, spread the speaker love speaker love, speaker lab, message love, you know, okay. Let's get to today's conversation. Today, we're talking with a friend, Scott Stratton. Scott is a, a phenomenal professional speaker. He's been in the game for a long time, has a lot of knowledge. This is really a wide ranging conversation. Uh, Scott is one of those guys that kind of marches, I butcher this in the conversation, but he marches to the beat of his own drum. And so we talk about how you do that, how you get to that point and what that looks like. We also talk about some of the insecurities, the doubts, the imposter syndrome that he and many speakers feel. Uh, I think oftentimes we, we look up to speakers, we admire, we respect and think, ah, they get it all figured out. And uh, so we talk that through. Scott, we talk about what he's done over the years, what he plans to do over the coming years to just stay relevant and I continue to do this for a long time. So really fun conversation. Always enjoy having Scott on the show. So uh, let's just jump right in. Here's uh, Scott Stratton. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Bolden here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, joined by my buddy, Scott Stratton. Scott, I have a question. Do you think of yourself as an anomaly of a speaker? Meaning that you seem like a very unconventional speaker. You, you march to the beat of your own drum. You don't typically follow the usual advice given to speakers. And it's kind of, hey, I'm going to do it my way or the highway. And that's it. Do you find that that is an anomaly or you feel like more and more speakers are doing it that way? It depends. I always find it depends on the path of which one took. And yeah. by the way, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to be in the lab. It's awesome excitement. And any of your assumptions on me are usually correct because I watched you for those listening, if you don't watch Grant's reaction videos to, you know, speakers speaking and, and your kind of breakdown of my talk to speakers is, yep, exactly. It's all bang on. It's like, I bet you he did that once before and it worked really well. Like was when I licked the pen, you brought it up and, ah, right. And I'm like, yeah, I did it before and it worked perfectly. So it's, yeah. So you, you, whatever assumptions you have are usually correct. So yes, but I find the path you take. So there's two paths to speaking either through just through osmosis or through focus and and through osmosis you just like it's like the you become the accidental speaker mm -hmm. you just end up doing t talks for for your job or for whatever it is and you just kind of roll into it and then it kind of has it was kind of like that right so mitch was like that and you're realizing yeah. you know what i can do this or i like this or both so you just kind of learn as you go versus going through a formal way which is like 
I want to be a speaker before I am one. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I want to read. And and it's a perfect, and by the way, both methodologies work, but sometimes we can overanalyze, over-research, and then over-prepare and paralyze ourselves. And so uh, for me, I've always worked with whatever goes with my grain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's that it's, we actually almost titled one of the books, go with your grain when it came to marketing stuff, because certain things that speakers do that works for them and that doesn't work for me. And it's not about, I want to do the opposite of everybody because I think, I don't think planned contrarianism is a good thing. You know, I don't think it's not like I sit there like a, I'll take this side cause they're taking this side. It's, this is how I think, but without any bias towards the norms or the quote unwritten acceptable policies and uses. My whole thing is I want to be on stage. I want to stay on stage and keep doing this for the rest of my life. What will that take? It's almost like Dr. Richard Carlson's old book, right? The small stuff and don't sweat the small stuff about all those things don't matter unless the main stuff is done first, right? Have you created a body of work or do you have a a body of work in your brain that gives you the credibility to say what you're about to say in front of an audience who wants to hear it in front of a client who wants to pay you for it? Like that's, and we forget my biggest problem with speaking is we focus too much on the speaking. Mm-hmm. and not on the work that creates the credibility to do the talk. And people want to be speakers and I'm going to be this and they're going to say, I want to do speak about this. And I'm like, okay, so why why you? Yeah. Oh, it's because I like the topic. I'm like, hmm. Do you feel like you have to be the expert before you're the speaker? I don't know if it's, 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 it's the great chicken or the egg. And I think you damn well better view yourself as an expert when you get up there because otherwise imposter syndrome is already rampant as it is in this business. It's going to be worse. I balance between being humbled that this is how I make a living and being arrogant that you're damn right. This is what I do for a living. And that's my battle. It's like the Kanye West of speaking, right? You should be honored by my lateness that I even showed up for this fake. Like this is, that's my brain bounces back and forth. I want like, we've said this on last time I was on the show. I wanted to do this since I was 12. Like this is talk about a focus, but I think the biggest problem here is that I know I'm going off on a tangent, but I think it's the entitlement side of it. It's not even the expertise or not because nobody hands you, nobody finally sends you a certificate in the mail and says, you're now an expert, go speak. Right. Right. It's like, do you have something that needs to be heard or needs to be said that is addressing a current issue or, or, or problem out there? But it's this entitlement, which is people get angry if they don't get gigs because they deserved that one or they should have got that one. And it is a nasty spiral to get into that nobody listening right now is entitled to a gig, any gig right. ever. But when you get them, to be able to do them, you should be able to bring in your best to that table, which includes the knowledge and the expertise. There's a, a couple of questions that come to mind here. One is, so looking at where your business is today in terms of how you're able to be very selective about what you do, you're going to dress a certain way, you're going to be picky about which gigs that you take, you only want to do keynotes, you don't want to do anything else. Do you feel like you would have been able to do that from the beginning? Or do you feel like I had to jump through certain hoops in order to now earn the opportunity to be really, really selective about what I do and how I do it. Yeah. And that's where it comes with the privilege of it, with the privilege of circumstance and and everything else. You know, first off, out of the gate, I'm already having an advantage. I'm a a straight white male. You know, it's, I mean, and if you look at keynotes, that pretty much is, looks like who they're picking. So that's a huge bias and huge thing that cannot go unset. Like I don't have odds stacked against me for a lot of this stuff. I don't have struggle when it comes to those type of things. I don't have to justify on stage that I'm intelligent enough, but just because I'm a female, 
that they're listening to me with less relevance than a male, which is studies have shown these type of things. And it, it makes me furious. I actually told an audience of uh, association executives that the biggest problem and the biggest way you can disrupt the meetings industry is to stop booking me. Right. Which I, in hindsight, um, might have been the best move. It's not great for job security, but, no, but, but there's plenty of gigs and plenty of conferences. And the problem being is that we, I'm, I'm just trying to, to, to word it right, where we're picking people. The only opinion that matters on your expertise is the one who's doing the booking, right? It's the one who think, well, they do have, and they're, that's the judge of it. And, mm-hmm. and I find that, and again, I'm sorry for going off. You just triggered me so much here, but that, it, what gets me furious the most about it is is when it comes down to all these selecting and, and who we're picking and why we're picking them. It's like, have you made yourself known? Have you made enough noise out there? Instead of not focusing on speaking. So when I did it, I didn't have the privilege of the ability to turn down a gig. Okay, that's a different privilege than, than getting them in the first place because I would take a gig for anything, for any money, in any condition that you want because right. you have to survive. I was bankrupt in 2009, 2010. And so whatever you wanted. So when I did gigs, I would do a lunch session, breakout. I don't, it was ever. And I would do free and I'd get consulting. I only stopped consulting eight years ago because I could. If I was not getting any gigs, I'd go right back into it. And the problem is we think it's keynote or bust in this industry where mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the golden rung, which is the, the thing, you know, you do. And, and, and why not? It's 45 minutes, it's an hour and that's it. You go home, no implementation, no follow-up, no accountability. Did you nail it on stage? Yes or no, that's it. Yeah, it's a great gig, but the majority of people don't do this as just a gig. And I've only done it out of the the environment and the privilege that I've got right now. And if it changes, then I go back into it. It shouldn't be that just, look, if you make $500 for doing a training session at a company for a, a half day, that's more money than most people ever make in a half day. And that should be commended, not looked as an amateur Right. You got to find your spot. You got to go with your grain and find out where that is. Maybe it's not keynotes. Keynotes is what it's, everybody's battling for the keynotes. Everybody's battling for that budget. When in reality, there's bigger, way bigger budgets of corporations and trainings and workshops and versus a conference by committee. Right. It's horrible being selected by committee. It's just like everybody brings their own thoughts and by, I've been on the committee that selected speakers 20, more than 20 years ago. Yeah. And just listen to it. And one person's like, you know what? I don't, their name is Dave, and I, my, my cousin's name is Dave. I don't like him. What else we got? You know, it's just, no matter, sometimes, most of the time, whatever you do, it's something out of your control that changes it. Right, right. right? So it just it never hurts your speaking career to get more knowledge in your field and then share that knowledge and become the catalyst for conversation. And therefore, versus pushing yourself as a speaker, it's pushing yourself as an expert. It's an age-old thing in this industry. We're not speakers. We're experts who speak kind of type of thing. Yep. But it's really true. It's really true when it comes down to that, where I got booked gigs, not because I was a speaker, but because of my content that was out there, that I created a platform, not gig or bust, but connect, follow, subscribe. And eventually when I had a, the first book coming out and I put one tweet out that says, I'm going to do a, the unbook tour, which is a speaking tour. Mm-hmm. That's how I got the 30 cities in 10 weeks was because I built the community and I built a knowledge base instead of just coming out new saying, who wants me to come to their town? Right. But the answer is nobody, by the way. Nobody wants you to come. But, so, and it does kind of feel like that chicken versus eggs scenario of if you build the audience, then maybe the opportunities will come. But it also, uh, to build the audience, to build the expertise, to build the credibility in the marketplace, it can really take a long time. And so versus like but, booking speaking gigs can also take a long time. But yes, 
That, but that's but that's this is the thing about time. And and my answer when anybody ever talks about well that's going to take a long time, the answer is yes. Any other questions? Speaking is not a good business to get into if you need money fast. Right. Right. It, totally it's agree. just and and stress and pressure and stuff is not does not you know go well with this industry. You know where you're just going to because then you're desperate. Then you're going to take and you're going to fly to. To, to, to Texas and do a gig for nothing and pay for travel just because you're, you're just dying to get on stage. Well, there's ways to do things that are quicker revenue. You know, consulting can jump on quicker depending on, or coaching can be quicker where you need to give yourself time to then build that platform. And people see now I'm doing 60 talks a year or 70 last year, but they don't see the the 30 city 10 week tour I did for negative money while I was bankrupt. They don't see the 28,000 tweets before I sent that tweet out. And they don't see the decade before that or the decade before that where I was speaking in a whole other world. That's never look at somebody's gig and say, well, I didn't get that. Why do I deserve that? You have no, you don't know the backstory. You don't know any of that. Or maybe they put themselves out there. Maybe they know somebody or maybe they're just better. Who knows? Yeah. There's enough gigs to go around if you look at them and see, realize where you can make a living doing this. Do you ever deal with the imposter syndrome yourself? Wondering, looking at some of those potential gigs going, why wasn't I selected? Why did they pick that speaker? I should be up there. Not necessarily even from a, maybe it is a, you know, an ego standpoint, but as much as like, I feel like I've busted my butt. I feel like I am on par with some of these other speakers that are hiring. They, I keep getting overlooked. I keep getting passed over for someone else. Why? Why, why, why? Do you ever find that yourself? Very rarely. Like there's always, there's, there's one event from my, like 2010 that I didn't get before I was, did this whole thing. And I'm, st- I'm still bitter about it now. <laughs> and yeah. the gig would have been ridiculous and it would have been silly and not worth it. And, uh, but it still sticks in my craw, as we would say. Are and, you allowed to tell us what it was? Uh, it was, yeah, it was a, a Disney social media moms event. You see okay. how ridiculous that is? I'm not a social media mom. I don't, but it was an event I didn't get then. I still haven't got, and I wouldn't do today. They'd be like, well, can you come and speak it for free? I'm like, nope, I don't even talk about social media now, but it still sticks in it because you remember it. But one of the reasons why I have an assistant, I have Karen, who's now 15 years with me, is because I don't want to know when I didn't get a gig. I don't want to know when I get an inquiry or a rejection because if I get an inquiry, I have hope. And my problem is I battle between feeling insecure about the future calendar down the road, like I do every year, and versus my ego pushing, saying, you know what, I should be the only choice. Every time I go and speak, I go speak at Caesars Palace in Vegas, and they're listing the other conferences that are there. I'm like, why am I not speaking at that one and that one and that one? I'm so lucky that a huge chunk of my friends are fellow professional speakers, which is also my competition. And I feel good when they get the gigs. But when they get it over me, there's always something in your head, just like, you know, whatever that is. And, and <laughs> the hundred reasons, but I have to have that confidence that I, I, I've never had imposter syndrome for myself on stage. Uh, um, and, I, and that's lucky. Yeah. I, again, that's not a, that's not a skill or a talent. That's just a synapse in my brain that doesn't fire. I never gotten nervous and I've never felt, impo- I, I feel like I belong on stage. I feel that I was born to be on stage and I'm so ecstatic that I'm doing the keynote for that company, honestly. Since you don't see the inquiries that come in, you have no idea if you're what you're winning, what you're losing, uh, maybe until the closer tail, until the, the gig actually happens. But how are you maintaining kind of a pulse on how things are going? Because I, I think what you just described there is a, 
a challenge for speakers at any level. I think oftentimes we look at speakers who are who have been in the business for decades, who are booking gig after gig after gig, and we just think it's just easy. And yet, oftentimes they have the same doubts and insecurities and fears that they had in year one. They've subsided a little bit, but it's still every gig kind of feels like maybe that was the last one. So by not keeping up with that, is that helping you or is that hurting you from that standpoint? I have found that I know my mental space and what drives me and what doesn't and money doesn't and neither does one year compared to the other. Whenever Karen sends me, Hey, this is where we're at for the year. I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't have a good relationship with money. I don't, I don't, it doesn't drive me. What drives me is my family and, and my dream of, of doing this for a living. And mind you, money becomes part of that, but I've never been one. I'm a terrible example. I don't, track year to year. I, I just know number of gigs and we do track US versus Canada and stuff like that. But I hire good people. I, you know, use bureau that's good bureau and I have them looking out for me. And and I have looked at, you know, five years ago, four years ago, I knew I would price myself out of can the Canadian market for the most part by jumping over once you jump over a certain fee level. Once you get into five figures in Canada and getting up to 10 to 15 or something, you you push yourself out for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that eventually I had to focus more on the US and part of that was going to be having a bureau drive inquiries, like drive leads for me versus waiting to come in. And I've never inquired for a gig, like I've never pitched for one. But I know that if I have good people in place, they will take care of those inquiries and having an outbound sales team with a qualified list, which is what bureaus are, allowed for that. So you t I was taking, you know, I took a hit because of all the direct inquiries we get, we have to give to them as well. If you go exclusive, that's a cut, but I'm doing future revenue down the road versus current. And that was a smart move. And we're still exclusive with uh, Kepler now. Yeah. But even then it seems like if I know that a bureau is looking out for me, I know that a bureau is booking gigs. Bureaus are also at times they can book whatever the, the hot flavor of the week is. And so it is difficult to be the hot flavor of the week for an extended period of time, extended meaning, you know, years and years and years. So at some point, like obviously you still have to continue to keep your hand on the pulse and making sure that they and or your internal people are still actually booking or you have enough inbound stuff that's, that's happening. So you can't... Well, my job with them, you got to understand one of the problems, one of the misconceptions of speaking is speakers thinks, well, if a bureau lists them or even more so if they go exclusive, their job is done. Right. And it's not, it's just starting. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like signing with a publisher and saying, well, I'm done. Yeah. You got to make the thing. So we've done a couple of things like we, other than going down and meeting with the team and I'm going down to meet with Kepler's team in a, uh, in a couple of weeks when I have a gig down there in Washington, but we, we bring in lunch and then what we did to, because bureaus, a lot of them work the same as like a real estate office, right? They're, although they're all under one roof, they're all almost free agents, right? They all have their favorite roster. They're all working yep. up you know, heavily industries and they all have different, exactly the different buckets they kind of focus on. Some will go more youth, some will go more corporate, some will go association or some will do a smorgasbord. And so I found, okay, so how do I get them all going? And so we had created a custom video box that when you opened it, it just had my speaker trailer and testimonials in it and it had the Kepler contact info. So we made it specifically for those agents to then send to their their warm list of people they've already said saying, Hey, remember I mentioned Scott and we mail, they, we had it all set up. We went down there, the mail, the packages, the mailing, everything else. Karen came with me, the coordinator of awesome for the company. And we had it all set up. And by the time we left, they had sent out all, all hundred uh, of those kits and those boxes. And that shows that we are willing to, 
not only put in the effort, but put in some cost to that. We didn't ask Kepler to pay for half of it. It was branded on the spine, on marketing and Kepler. Like it was the only things we could use it for was them. Yeah. And, you know, we paid through the nose for these things. It was 70 bucks a piece, I think, for the each video. But it has an LED screen in it and everything. And, yeah, it, it probably closed about a dozen deals because of it. And, well, that makes up for the, the expenditure. You touched on it earlier, but, and I beat this drum all the time, but I'd be curious for people who say, if I could just get in with a bureau, if I could just get in with an agent, then I'm set, then I'm good. I tell them what you're getting ready to tell them, but can we hear it from Uncle Scott? What would you say to those speakers? My biggest trigger is the word just, because there's no just. There's no just in any business, right? And anybody who's been in anything, if you're just getting into speaking now and you're listening to this, and you're, but you've really experienced another industry, let's say you were in uh, a car sales, you're in automotive industry forever, and now you're trying to branch into speaking. Well, it would be somebody coming up to you and saying, yeah, you just got to do this and you'll sell a thousand cars a month. <laughs> you know exactly your response to that would be, what are you trying to con me? Or are you trying to scam me? Or you have no idea what you're talking about. And it's the same for speaking. It's, yeah. there is no just. The whole thing is like being listed on a bureau site is awesome and it's very cool, but you were one of a thousand people. Going exclusive, maybe become a smaller group and they have an incentive to push you out there because all things come through them, which is fine. But at the end of the day, when you sign with a bureau or an agent, to me, it's almost irrelevant to me when it comes to my outwards content creation and putting stuff out there. Meaning I've got them, great. So let's keep them there and now they can leverage my stuff better. I want to make their lives so easy that it's just, it's not even an ounce of effort to refer me. Yeah. But we have to go back to the hierarchy again too, right? The, the most important thing is like I was talking about, you know, on stage, you can do this, but you got to have the knowledge first. Well, with things like bureaus, the most important thing is if they do get you a gig and the first gig, you got to kill it. Like you got to kill it. Mm-hmm. And that, because that comes back to them. And you have to remember as speakers with a bureau, you're not the bureau's client. It's the client. that's their client. If that makes sense. We always think the bureau, well, it's again, they've listed me and now I'm part of their roster. No, you're not, you're not part of their anything. Their roster is their clients. They, they, they want to book your keynotes for the next 20 years, not me in October once in Idaho. It's, it, that's the client. So they're looking out for their best interest. Right. And it gets confusing because they take care of the contract and all this type of stuff. But it brings up a, a real big quick flag in my head from the start of this business until today is if they are representing the client, why are they negotiating our contract? You know what I mean? Because that, that doesn't make any, you wouldn't show up to a buying a house and, and use the seller's agent only usually, right? You, right. you want somebody looking out for your best interest. And, and luckily I have Karen to do that. And she's the one that goes back and forth with them. And we have a great relationship with Kepler and they know when somebody's like a final offer versus not, or when they have wiggle room, but they want the gig. They make a commission of the commission. Yeah. Remember that, right? They make a, a cut of the cut. So it, go, it doesn't come out to a huge amount of money per gig. They just want the gig and they need to close the next one. They're working on volume. And the problem is when you go there and say, well, go book me, you know, and, and I don't mean you're, you're not Keyshawn Johnson writing a book saying, give me the damn ball, but what you are, your actions are saying that. And I rather say, I'm on this horse, we're flying, you know, just come ride along with us and you can go with this momentum. I want them to jump on my momentum. I want to, so that's why, you know, Allison wrote five books in six, seven years was to keep that momentum going. And that's why I pivoted out of social media speaking into disruption speaking. And that's why we're pivoting again with the next book coming out in November. It's keeping your eye out on everything. It's, is, is my topic st- still keynotable? Is it still 
something that is in demand? Is it as in like social media where that part is, there's a cycle of life when it comes to topics a lot of times, where it's like social media came out and it's like, that was the keynote. I did all social media keynotes and that became more commonplace and that became more of a breakout. And the keynote now was like, okay, so taking the pulse of, the, of your industry, of your world and what would work next is very important. And when we don't pivot, you make it harder for those bureaus and those agents to book us. But if we pivot too frequently, then you become the speaker who says they can speak on anything. And that's not a good thing either. Yeah, that really ties to what I I wanted to ask you was, you are someone who's been in the industry for a long time. You want to be in the industry for another several decades. So how do you continue to maintain relevance? And so some of it is the topic side of it, of making sure that you are providing a topic, you're solving a problem that people actually care about. So just because you care about a topic doesn't mean that the market cares about it. So how have you made sure, you mentioned like, I started with social media and then I realized social media was no longer as relevant, relevant, but no longer as relevant for what I was wanting to do in terms of keynotes. Right. How do you figure that out? How are you aware of that? So you stay kind of a, a ahead of the curve. Is it the Wayne Gretzky quote of skate to where the puck is going, not where the puck is? So how do you keep an eye on where that puck is moving towards? Yeah, I appreciate the Gretzky reference. That's a hockey reference for you. Yeah, more than 40 minutes west of here. So go Brantford. One of the things is obviously keeping your ear to the ground, but what does that even mean, right? Where it's you can set up like Google News Alerts. You can stay up on top of topics, but that does not necessarily show you what the trend is going forward. Mm-hmm. And looking at that, and one of the things you do is you talk to the people, you talk to the bureau, talk. you ask them, you know, what topics are people coming, the inbound topic requests? And when do you have a collection of that? So for me, uh, I knew that social media, more for me was like I could just, because I was so entrenched in social media, I could see where the topic was going and where I want it. And I talked to things like Jay Bear about it. We both were the digital social media speaking guys. We both pivoted at the same time and we were texting him and we're like, we have run. Like, it's just like, it's time to go. And then you kind of just go off to your next thing. And, but the, the difference is, so when you talk a bureau, there'll always be the silos. Okay. Conferences have these silos, right? There's sales and marketing, there's leadership slash management, and there's softer skills, it's culture and, and networking and all that stuff. And then there's motivational, inspirational, and then there's the celebrity side that has no rules whatsoever. And there's yep. nothing I can teach people to do with that. <laughs> and the issue is, so where do I fit in that silo? And it's not only your topic or not, is whether topics become more popular. So anybody who was talking about how to do successful marketing in direct mail and advertising and stuff was not getting keynotes anymore when social media blew up. So it's not necessarily just watching your own topic, but what other topic is taking the spots away. So for me going into, I was looking at what are the overall keynotes? I was, I was moving out of speaking to marketers, mm-hmm. which is a bubble and moving into, and I still love speaking. I just did content marketing world Cleveland and I love it because I get to talk about analytics and ethics and stuff I don't usually talk about in main keynotes. Mm-hmm. So I kept my foot over there with better customized, more drilled down content. And I looked at it and it was disruption was causing big issues because because it was so many changes and still it was still tech based and still this and that was so it wasn't like I was totally tearing it down and like now I speak about instapots like it's just (laughs) like you just can't just totally reinvent yourself every couple years when and have like totally departed from what because then people are like that's not an expert that's just an opportunist right right. place to place but disruption was all because social media is one of the most disruptive things that happened when it comes to tech so that was a perfect segue into it and um Although the, the funny is our next one is going to be a segue, which I didn't think was a speaking segue, but may get there. And, and we're doing a book called The Jackass Whisperer. So it's like, 
how to deal with the worst people on earth at home, online and at work, even when the jackass is you. And we are going to do it for fun. Yeah. We're publishing it ourselves. We're using the awesome hybrid publisher in Vancouver, uh, page two. Mm -hmm. And we, we just want to do it for fun. That's a phrase that have been out there for a decade now that went crazy viral and like, let's do a book for fun. Let's do like 120 jackasses in the book. And we'll talk about how to deal with them in a jackass way or the whisperer way. Here we go. And I thought it was me fun. I told page two, we're not expecting, we're not doing, there's no talk based on it. And then we we're talking as weeks go by. I'm like, every story I talk about is about a jackass. I could probably make that the entire talk. And then so we realized, well, now it might be another shift, but I don't know. It's coming out in two months and I've got a stuffed donkey right beside me right here and uh, some uh, 2,000 socks in my garage and 20,000 books being printed as we speak right now. Yeah. So it could be a pivot again or, you know, it doesn't work. I, I know it helps me that all the, all the books that have dropped the F-bomb on the cover and stuff has paved the way for Jackass not being as uh, blatant mm -hmm. as it would have been a couple of years ago. So it's nicely softened that for us. But I don't know. You may be talking to a person that's only going to talk about Jackass Whisperer going forward. I let the market dictate it. So how much of it is, is you paying attention to the market? How much of it is also one of the things you touched on was just talking with fellow speakers in your industry? Because one of the unique things about the industry is in many ways, we're all competitors, but at the same time, we're all colleagues and friends and there's no one speaker that can do every possible gig. So right. how much of it is you also just comparing notes with everybody else of, hey, I'm not getting this gig that I used to get, or I'm getting booked on this topic. What's happening with everybody else? How much of it are you gauging based on what other speakers are doing or feeling? That's the thing is, is the problem with speaking is that it's a nomadic, singular kind of based business, right? But both physically and mentally, right? It's us on stage, it's us going. And then if we go to a gig and we go to a gig and it's attendees and we're the only outside speaker, we have no community time. Yep. And that's a problem where you don't, and I do test the waters talking to a, a bunch of different speakers and you just, you just listen and you pull stuff in and I look at agendas of other conferences and okay, so what's their keynote? Is it name-based, topic-based? And because I don't have a name, I know I'm, I'm near the top of the, the rung when it comes to this field, when it comes to non-celebrity keynote stuff. Like I, I'm not in uh, Seth's level. I'm not in Gladwell's level of, I'm probably two rungs down from that and enjoying it quite nicely. I'd have to look at stuff and say, okay, I, I, right now I can't control being picked based on name because I'm known pretty well in, in digital marketing and marketing stuff, but not in most. I always say nobody knows who I am when I get on stage, but they all will when I get off the stage. And, yep. and they think I'm the sound guy when I get up there. It's something that you can't do anything because the problem is it's the hot hand, right? You said you get yep. that one thing. And so you look at it and you're like, oh, that works, but it's the ones who keep going. That's what I want to learn from. Like how did somebody who, like Billy Bean is still doing keynotes with Moneyball, you know, yeah. based on him and, and the book. And, and we've done probably five events. I've never met him because he's always either opening or closing and I'm opening or closing on a different day. So we're always going back and forth. But it's like, okay, so study him. Mm -hmm. Because it's not that it just came out or the movie just came out. It's that he's a great speaker and he had that movie and all that stuff happened. So the longevity, I think we can learn from celebrity, but not the initial impression because it's, it's a name draw is a name draw but I can learn more from those people. I am so not staying on topic today. I'm so, I apologize, but. You're good. I got, I got another question for you. And we haven't even, there was right before we started recording, there was another topic that we thought right. like, oh, this would be good. This would actually be really relevant. <laughs> we haven't even touched on it. So we may have to, uh, we may have to have you back. We'd love to have you. Another part, no problem, anytime. Your game. 
Okay. So one of the things that you also mentioned was you want to be doing this long term. The reality of speaking is it like you kind of touched on here. It can be very lonely. It can be very isolating. It can be people think it's like the celebrity life. And yeah, there's a hot second that it feels like, all right, this is kind of cool. But like most of the time, it is very uneventful, very non-glamorous, very non-sexy. Yeah. So yeah. how do you keep it interesting for yourself? Because it's possible for you to go on stage today in front of an audience of a, of a thousand or several thousand people and kill it and yet be on autopilot and be bored. So how do you keep it relevant for yourself and how do you keep it interesting? So it's still, every time you get up, like, dang, this really is fun. I always say a gig is 47 hours of monotony for one hour of awesome, right? It's like, it's like, ask any touring musician. Yep. Yep. Right. You just, there's so much downtime and people are, of course, anybody listening right now who has a classical job is like a cry me a river. And I I know, I know, I know it's not hard. And I'm actually, one of the things that keeps me going other than the other people that live between these walls in this house and they drive my everything is the fact that I am really comfortable in my own skin. I am really comfortable on my own. Um, I'd rather be honestly with, with Alice and, and the kids, but I am very, very good on my own. I can find things to do. I am good. I'll watch YouTube videos for 11 hours in a row in bed in a hotel if I have to, because it keeps my mind. I, I, it makes me, I'm either learning or laughing all the time. I'm constantly, my appetite for this topic of disruption of all the topics I love is endless. So I'm always reading it, but it's never work to me. It's never research. Mm-hmm. And then, so one of the things I do since I'm on the road so much is I, I love sports. I love all levels of sports. So for me, I, my goal is at every stadium, ballpark, and arena in, in the U.S. and Canada for the four major sports. And yeah. I have a scratch-off thing from Pop Charts, the website where you scratch off every stadium you've gone to. And I've, I've gone to over half now. I've seen your spreadsheet. It's awesome. Yeah, right. You've seen the, the, you've seen the spreadsheet. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going. I've, I've, uh, uh, and I, it gives me a focus. Yeah, but I go and I go by myself. But I'm good. Like I go to I can go to movies by myself. I'll go to games by myself. I'll go to concerts. Like I'm, you have to get comfortable in your own skin. Um, but that's also again, that's personality based. It wasn't a change. So I don't. I, I, I hesitate to tell people, you know, this is what you got to do. And if it's not your personality, then then I understand that too. But being comfortable in my own skin is the biggest thing for me for the road. And then controlling what I can control out there. You know, bringing my own coffee on the road and you know, having a playlist I listen to. I have my relax playlist. I'll send it to you if you want to put it up on the, for the show that people can listen to. On the, I put it on my headphones, my noise-canceling headphones, put it on, put it on my iPad, and the world ceases to exist around me mm-hmm. versus I have a look. It asks the, ask the kids or ask Allison. I have this <laughs> look. It's my mutiny look, my coup look. And something's happening. I'll look kind of this. My head will pop up a bit and I'll look over. <laughs> and the last time I did that on a plane, Owen, we were flying him out to university in BC and he goes, all I hear is, don't, don't, don't do it. Because my nose is getting stuck somewhere else, but I put those headphones on, and life's okay. Yeah, I, and and so that's that's a big part of it. Plus, you know, you find your people, find your community. Whether that means going to a an NSA chapter or a, the main conference, or having a local group or, or Facebook group, you've got to have that. Otherwise, we're just all running around making the same mistakes at the same time, and we don't learn from that. I really believe, even though this profession is competitive, it should be an elevator. You know, we should take an elevator together versus a ladder. A ladder, only one person at a time can be on each rung. And I'm good to press the button and have us all go up there. There's a lot of gigs. There'll be a lot of gigs, even if a recession hits. There's always conferences. They just shift a bit. And and we have to be able to say, look, if I learn, I do better. If you learn, you do better. If we both learn, then everything's better. Favorite stadium or arena that you've been to? Oh, man. This is going to kill me to say because I'm a Detroit Lions diehard, but the Minnesota Vikings 
new football stadium. Of any sport? Dude. I, I, here's the thing. Okay, so I, I battle between uh, classic and uh-huh. my childhood sports and yeah. awestruck. And okay. that Viking stadium, I, I, I don't know. It's got to be there. I can't beat Wrigley. Yeah, Wrigley, Fenway. Fenway. Wrigley yep. and Fenway. I can't. I can't beat them. I'm sorry. Yep. I, I just like I was. I I'm an '80s, '90s yeah. baseball diehard, and like you know, I still call the Cleveland is still Jacobs Field. Mm-hmm. It's yep. still Comiskey in, in Chicago, yep. and but I go based on um, my 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 grade is actually is hot dog. Really, best, best hot dog at a stadium. Yeah, because all the new stadiums have a good, great feel. I love Comerica in Detroit, and uh-huh. I love. I I did. Do you listen to this? So I had a gig in Houston. And, and I had never been. I remember to, this. Right? Yeah. I'd never yeah, been to Okay, Houston. go ahead. Tell this. This is great. Get a gig. And I get to do not two games on the trip, two <laughs> games in one night. And I get to go to the Houston uh, Astros game. I get to go at six. I go to that game for an hour and a half. And then I walk three blocks and go to the Rockets playoff game against the Warriors. <laughs> like, I thought nothing would beat my Boston trifecta weekend, which was Bruins, Red Sox, Celtics all in four days. But okay. in one night, including Rockets Warriors, yeah, like yeah. I, playoffs, dude, I cannot like the only my only goal other than to finish this list. I think my only goal because I love love NFL is to do uh, the the four game and five night move the Thursday night, the Saturday night later in the season, Sunday and then Monday. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's it, that's I think that's how I'm going to end my run. Right. It's going to be like I got five more to go. Can we logistically do it? Because you can tie it all together so but yeah that's what i mean you gotta you, you just gotta you gotta motivate yourself you gotta go and it's you'd be amazed uh, i'm sure you know the number of motivational speakers who need motivation you know because <laughs> we have to fill ourselves back up the speakers got to fill themselves up and but I, that's also why i do i control things around this is i i should have said this at the start of the answer but sometimes we agree to do things that are not in our own best interest when it comes to our health and wellness for gigs. Mm-hmm. So some people want to do the gig thing where they go, where they go to all day conference, listen to all the speakers, talk to go to the lunch, go to network, do the cocktail reception, get all this stuff. And then they go do their talk. And if that's your thing, bless you. Okay. But I cannot do, I, I do when I do the keynote and I, I get really animated and really entered. I, I yell a lot. But that's me. That's my personality. It's not a, an act. And then I talk, and, I, and but I'll sign books. And I sign, I did it in Cleveland last week. I three hours. I signed books for it online, and I'm happy to. I'd love to. It's such a. It's so also humbling and ego stroking that I get to sign a book, let yeah. alone one of the five we have. But we exhaust ourselves, and it adds up. And so when somebody, the problem is we get asked a lot of times, and a lot of people that I know in speaking who don't want to do it, don't know how to say no to the request. And so I have a way of doing it when they say, because they get, our, they get my flight info. So they know when I'm coming and what I always do now, I flipped it. Cause before it's like, I don't want to do this thing, but I don't want to text them when I, because when I text them, when I arrive, that, that makes them feel better, right? The keynotes arrive, good yep. to go. They can relax a bit at the party, but then you'd like, maybe I should text them a little later at night. So they don't invite me to the cocktail party or something, you know, come <laughs> on down deep or, enough into it. <laughs> so my two scenarios, I didn't like happening. I flipped it. So the two scenarios was on the pre-call, you know, most events with the call mm-hmm. before their event to talk about it. Cause they like to do that. Then they'll either corner me on that or they'll do it on the text. So I've gotten the same answer both ways. And it's true, but it's also wording it properly. And they said, Oh, on the call. Okay. We're looking forward to Scott. Oh, by the way, sorry. There's a cocktail reception theme before we see your flight gets in at three and the calls not to the reception is at seven. 
um, we'd love to have you come join us. And I'd be like, thank you so much. I'm flattered. You want me at your kind of your family reunion, really, at this thing. And I, the problem is I have a serious issue. I can't help but talk all the time. Like when there's people around, I've got to talk. It's my, it's my personality. And I can lose my voice, which we all can. But I spent, you know, especially a cocktail reception, there's background music and stuff. That's the worst. Restaurants, yeah. busy restaurants and, and cocktail receptions are the worst, yeah. for, at least for my voice. And I said, so I risk sometimes losing the voice or it's not as impactful. And I want to save everything I've got for the keynote in the morning. Would that be okay? 100% of the time, they say, of course. Right. Instead of saying, I'll try to make it, which I used to do. I'm like, okay, well, I want to get in there. I'll, 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 then I've decided not to. I'm, and I'm being honest because the best keynote I can give is when I'm well rested. I haven't talked and I'm ready to go. But I also don't like schmoozing before my talk because nobody knows who I am. That's it's, what I was going to say. It's like, it is painfully awkward as a speaker going to something, but anything before you speak. Afterwards, it's slightly better. You, have, you can get, totally skip the introduction. different reception. No one has any clue who you are. You walk in and it's like going to a family reunion, except you're not related <laughs> nor dating anybody in the room. No, <laughs> but, totally but people have heard something about you because you're the, you're the blind date. Yes. Yes. Day. But okay. So tell me about yourself. Cause what do we get asked when you walk? Oh, I'm the speaker. Oh, what do you speak on? I'm what like, are you going to talk about tomorrow? Ah, come to the session. I'm going to talk about how to have awkward cocktail conversations. You know, like, and just throw it at them. And so I realized that to be, you know, sometimes you do have to put those, those limits around you. And I understand the mentality of anything all the time. I want to be the best person to the client. And I'm guilty of not being the easiest to work with in the past. And I've tried to change that over the past couple of years because I realized what I'm preaching isn't what I'm doing. And, and not even it was overtly, but it's like, I'm not sending slides ahead of time. I'm not going to the cocktail reception. And it comes out in a, a contract very forceful and versus me saying, Scott would be happy to send you the slides if that makes, but it's on a USB key. They're very, they're just photos, this, this, and this. And I realize every request that seems to be overreaching or overbearing from a client comes from an experience with a previous speaker. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, I'm trying to remember that now versus saying, I can't believe they're asking for this or I can't believe it. Well, no, it's either because the last speaker agreed to do it or something happened in a bad way and they're trying to prevent it from happening again. Very true. You're printing 20,000 copies of Jackass Whisper. Where can we get it? When is the book out? Yeah, I haven't even announced it yet to anybody. So you're, there you go. It's, uh, it's, you you told us you're printing 20,000 and I got to yeah. move somehow. So. Right, you got to move it sometime. Uh, so it's out officially in November. Order it wherever fine books are sold. And uh, Either way, it's, it's, we enjoyed it. So we'll see how it goes. Now I'm stoked. Like I've got to talk about it now and I've angled it. and So we'll see, man. That's fun. That's fun. Scott, always a pleasure to talk with you. I'd love to have you back anytime you want. You always have an open invitation and we appreciate it, man. If people want to find out more about you and where you're at, where can we go? Uh, on marketing on most places. Uh, it's on the Instagram and Facebook and on marketing.com. And, but you can also go to uh, jackasswhisper.com. And I'll tell you some other time how I had to pay five grand for that URL. When it's I was wondering if you had to buy that from anyone. <laughs> I did. I did, but that's okay. We'll save that story for next time. You got it. Thanks, brother. Bye.
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Scott. Uh, again, he's got that new book coming out soon. So whenever you listen to this, make sure you go pre-order, check out that book, order the book if it's out. And I would love for you to help uh, support Scott however you can. Hey, uh, again, if there's anything we can do to help you and serve you and support you in your speaking business, don't hesitate to reach out. Let us know. If you're interested in working with our team to help you build and grow your speaking business, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Feel free to go schedule a free call with our team. You can go to thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Again, that is the speaker speakerlab.com slash apply. And there you can book a call to talk with the team. We can talk through uh, your business, what you're looking for help with and how we might be able to, to partner together and help you out. All right. So uh, again, check that out over at thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Thanks for hanging out with us, my friend. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.